1: Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast Here on the Fight Game Media (sighs) platform This is your host, the OG Rob Silver Today, I will be reviewing the weekends uh this past weekend's fights um june 10th and june 11th 2022 and i will end the program with another one of my profiles on my 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years today i will be discussing number 36 my number 36 fighter who is my favorite fighter ever to come out of the city of Philadelphia? The city of Brotherly Love, and that is Jolting Jeff Chandler. But before we get to that profile on Mr. Chandler, let's begin with Wednesday night. I mean not Wednesday, Friday night's fight that occurred on the zone in Mexico. And that was a WBA. And I hate to say this because I mean these alphabet uh, organizations are so damn criminal uh, An alleged WBA unification fight The WBA, for those who do not know Have had three world champions per division In their sanctioning body That's a super champion A regular champion and an interim champion. What kind of nonsense is this? Anyway, the WBA about 18 months ago claimed they were going to clean up all their divisional titles and have one champion per, per division. So we have the quote-unquote super champion, Hiroto Kayaguchi, who is is man at 108 pounds, period. End of story, right? 108-pound light, uh, light flyweight division. Against the WBA quote unquote regular champion, Esteban Bermudez, um, and Kayaguchi is a tremendous offensive fighter. Uh, he's severely flawed defensively, but he overwhelms his opponents to the point where defense is never his defense is never taken into consideration. And again, in this fight, he overwhelmed bermuda Bermuda showed a lot of heart, a lot of heart and s- sometimes he gave as good as he was getting, but he could not stop Kayaguchi's phenomenal uppercut uppercuts. Kayaguchi has an incredible uppercut. I mean he's top five in the game right now among active fighters with his power-punching uppercut. I mean, his uppercuts are ferocious. He goes to the body. He throws punches nonstop. And finally, in the eighth round, after being deducted points in the seventh round, uh, he finally finished off Bermudez, and Bermudez's face looked like it had been hit by a baseball bat. I mean, his face was all messed up. This could be one of those fights that I've talked about throughout my entire uh, eleven years as a podcaster on boxing. Uh, from what my father used to tell me as a little boy growing up in the late '70s, early '80s, he would tell me as I was a little boy in the late '70s and early '80s, how certain fights would ruin a fighter for the rest of it of their career. Case in point: Meldrick Taylor versus Julio Cesar Chavez back in back on March seventeenth, nineteen ninety. Bermuda took such a beating Friday night that. There's a great shot that he will never be the same. What's next for uh for uh uh Kayaguchi? If I was his management, I'd have him w- move up to one twelve. I mean, yeah, you you could try and unify the other titles at one hundred and eight pounds, but I don't see the money in it. Um, he's a diszone fighter, so there's a ready-made matchup with Julio Cesar Martinez coming off his loss. To Chocolatito Roman Gonzalez. Put him in Martinez in for Martinez's uh alphabet soup title at 112 pounds. Gucci has a lot of uh, a, a lot of options. He's 28 years old. He needs to continue to fight regularly because he has not fought. He's only fought twice in the last three years. So he needs to, at his age and the way he fights, to fight more often because He's got the type of style that has a very, very short shelf life So that was the good of the weekend the, the, the one guy that did what he was supposed to do And looked impressive Now we go on to Saturday's cards And three one-dimensional trick overrated ponies Who, one, has already been exposed And two, will get exposed eventually They do nothing for me They're overrated Overrated all three. And we start first with Don King having a card in Miami. Um, I think there were more uh ushers than fans in the in the stands. And this fight card. Um, Daniel Dubois versus Trevor Bryan for another bullshit WBA world title. The WBA, like the IBF, like the WBC, and like the WBO are criminal cartels. They're criminal organizations. They're probably fronts uh, uh, for for drug cartels. There's, There's no need for these sanctioning bodies, but yet the boxing media, uh, the casual fight fans, the networks, all clamoring, Oh, he—he's a four—he's a four belt champion. Oh, he's a—he's won titles in four weight classes. Of course, you could win four titles in four weight classes if there are a multitude of world titles per division that you could fight for. Anyway, Daniel Bryan won one of those bogus titles when he beat the quote unquote WBA regular champion Trevor Bryan. A fat bloated uh looking like Tony Tubbs in his prime, but with with, with uh with half the talent. And Dubois, Bois for the first three rounds did nothing but, you know, just walk towards Brian and Brian would throw out a lazy jab right. a Matter of fact, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, all three judges had Brian winning all three rounds. And it wasn't like Brian is this special boxer out boxing Dubois. Du Bois is a one dimensional slugger he was exposed against Joe Joyce. He will get exposed if he ever stepped in the ring with a Joshua, with a Usyk, with a Fury. I mean, he's not that good. Yes, he's got tremendous power, as shown in the fourth round when he, when he finally put Trevor Bryan asleep after himself being asleep for three rounds. Dubois is nothing special, right? He's not even on that Frank Bruno class. Get this stiff the hell out of here. And speaking of stiffs, well, no, we'll get to that stiff last. Uh, of these three fighters that are one-dimensional sluggers, I believe Jaime Mungaya has the most talent of the three, but that's not saying a lot, all right? Jaime Mungaya fought uh, Jim Kelly. Is that that's his name, Jim Kelly? And man, let me make sure I'm saying this guy's name right because when I say Jim Kelly, I think of the legendary 1970s karate film, um, African American action action. Um, yes, his name was Jim Jimmy Kelly. Jim Kelly's his name. Uh, man, this was a farce um, Jimmy Kelly is not that good, all right? Jimmy Kelly uh, was moving around, and he was landing at will against Mungaya for the first four rounds. And he was even making Mungaya look stupid by throwing his hands out there, uh, feigning with the left jab, throwing left hooks, and Mungaya, like Daniel Dubois did in the fight previously that I, I spoke about, Who's looking for that one punch? Looking for that one punch. moongaia since moving up to 160 pounds, he was a bog, the WBO bogus junior middleweight champion. He moved up to 160, and he's fought stiff after stiff after stiff. He's fought six body bags, right? Kelly being the, the latest. Uh, Kelly dominated the first four rounds. I mean, I gave Kelly three of the first four rounds. I mean, I'm like, Kelly's I mean, Kelly's a laughable fighter. Mungaya was not jabbing. He was just looking for that one shot, wasn't trying to go to the body. Finally, in the fifth round, he drops Kelly three times after hurting him early in the round with a right cross, finishes him off right before the bell rings, The fight's over after third knockdown. Mugaya wins a very unimpressive, lackluster fight. And he gave a very, very mediocre and lackluster effort.
0: NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away.
1: Oscar De La Hoya is Jaime, is a promoter, Golden Boy. They have been feeding him bum after bum. The mini-moon guy steps up and fights a Jamel or Jamal Charlo. Demetrius Andrade. Any of those guys, he's going to get beat the hell up. He's going to be given his lunch, breakfast, and dinner. He's not good enough to beat those guys, all right? And Mungai is one of those guys hoping to hold out for a fight against Canelo Alvarez. Man, get the fuck out of here, all right? He is the number one contender to Demetrius Andrade's WBO bogus title, and yet he's turned down fights with Andrade because he knows Andrade kick his ass, right? Let's stop the nonsense. And Oscar. Take the dresses off your boys. Hey, Ryan Garcia signed to fight. Javier Fortuna. Another middle of the road journeyman. Man, get the hell out of here. All right. Now we go on to a fight that was held in on my home turf. The Hulu Theater in Madison Square Garden. Sold out crowd of over 5,000 people. Uh, for those of you who don't know who are new to the show, I'm a black Puerto Rican. All right. All uh, right. Saturday, uh today, is the annual Puerto Rican Day Parade, the first Puerto Rican Day Parade in three years, in 2020, 2021. It was interrupted and postponed because of COVID. And traditionally, for several years, going back to when Miguel Cotto was in his prime, the Saturday before the Sunday Puerto Rican Day Parade, Madison Square Garden would hold a card, the big card. We had the card at the small theater, the Hulu Theater, because no way in the fucking world Edgar Berlanga is going to sell out Madison Square Garden fighting uh, another one of these opponents that Bob Aram gives gives him. All right. He fought um, Romar Angulo last night. Now, Angulo's a tough son of a bitch, without a doubt. Angulo has fought for two uh, for for two bullshit uh, bogus titles. Um, the titles are bogus, but the guys he lost to were solid fighters. He uh he actually went the distance with a uh, David Benavidez, which was a uh, shocking, 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 shocking. But uh, last night's fight against. Romar Alexis Angulo Berlanga showed what I've been saying For several 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 years now since he first exploded onto the scene a couple years back when he was winning uh, All these fights against zombies and cab drivers by first-round knockout He won his first 16 fights by first-round knockout and I'm watching this and I'm like This guy's not that good. He's fighting bums a He's fighting setups, and yeah, he's knocking them out in thirty seconds, in sixty seconds, in ninety seconds. But none of these guys can fight, and he's throwing wide shots. He's wide open for for uh for counters. He's not that good. Last four fights, he stepped up his opposition from downright horrible to mediocre, and and Gulo Wali has pop. And has fought twice for uh, Alphabet criminal cartel organizations. He's a mediocre fighter, all right, with a good chin. And he gives you rounds. And Berlanga was talking all this nonsense before the fight. Oh, yeah, I'm going to start a new knockout streak. Oh, yeah, I'm going to give the people in of in, uh, uh, Puerto Rico and New York City something to cheer for. Watching the, the fight on ESPN, because I will never pay a fucking nickel to see Edgar stiff-ass Belanga fight. Watching the fight on ESPN last night, as he came to the ring with Don Omar, a uh, huge Latin uh, recording star of the last decade, there was no buzz in the arena. It wasn't like Tito Trinidad when he would come into the arena and you'd have Fifteen or 20,000 Master Square Garden fans standing, uh, over 90% Puerto Rican, cheering them on. Same thing with Miguel Cotto. Same type of atmosphere. No, it was a lukewarm response because I believe that even the casual Puerto Rican boxing fan has figured Belanga out. And they only went to the fight because it was part of the Puerto Rican Day weekend Festivities. For those who don't know, I live in Spanish Harlem. And the Saturday, every, annually every Saturday before the Puerto Rican Day Parade, we have the Puerto Rican Day Festival in Spanish Harlem, in which you have food and music and all types of great shit going on. And so a lot of those people would buy tickets to the fight because that would be part of the festivities. It was lukewarm. It was lukewarm, and the crowd was dead silent for all 10 rounds. That's Belanga. Went from being a seek-and-destroy fighter because he fired his trainer, longtime, well-regarded New York City trainer Andre Rozier, uh, for a trainer that I never heard of before, all right. I've been watching boxing 46 years, and Tim Bradley and Joe Tessitore were talking about how. Oh, he's good. He's redefined Belanga's strategy. <laughs> what 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 did this clown do? He changed Belanga from a seek and destroy fighter, the only thing people want to see, to a hit and run punch and Judy fighter. All right, that's not Belanga style. He's not. He doesn't have a jab. And oh my god, Timothy Bradley, will you shut the hell up? And by the way, poor taste by Timothy Bradley joking about the South African boxer that died last week. And now he now I do believe he didn't know that the guy died, which is stupid being that you're now part of the boxing media he should be suspended. And speaking of suspensions, Edgar Belanga should be suspended because it was either the seventh or eighth round. He tried to bite both Angulo's shoulder blade and ear. Um, I think the mouthpiece got in the way and the referee did not see it. And the referee warned Angulo for uh, being too aggressive, even though it was Belanga that tried and commit the heinous act. And then the judging. What the fuck were the judges uh, looking at? I had Belanga winning six rounds to four, where several of those rounds could have gone either way. If Angulo would have won, and Angulo wasn't winning in, in uh, the Hulu Theater last night in New York City in, in, in front of uh, over 90% Puerto Rican crowd, unless he had to knock uh, the stiff Belanga out. But uh, Angulo was the aggressor most of the fight. He landed several shots to the body and the head. I know the last few rounds he didn't do much because he was tired. But they both tied. Berlanga was running around the ring with his mouth open. Two judges had Berlanga winning nine rounds. How? How the fuck you gave him nine rounds? And one judge gave him eight rounds. Um, I have a feeling that they uh already had their scorecards written in stone before the fight started this was a pathetic night of boxing in Madison square garden the hulu theater this was a pathetic showing a pathetic main event a uh, uh, a pathetic uh i don't what the hell was belanga doing trying to bite this man what the fuck's in his head what the what is wrong with this clown tim bradley with 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 uh joking about about a a, a, a fighter who died and oh dude uh, i i was watching a video of a guy uh throwing punches like he was fighting a ghost and that man died uh brother you stupid motherfucker and joe Testator. oh my god joe Testator. hey girl boy! Oh, in the tradition of Tito Trinidad and Miguel Cotto. Shut the fuck up. Shut up. All right, before I go on to uh, my weekly profile of my 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years, by the way, you can go to fightgamemedia.com and see my 45 greatest fighters of of the last 45 years. In in writing, in written form. Um, soon, sometime soon, my number thirteen. I'm up to number thirteen. Number fourteen, Alexis Arguello, is on the website. My number thirteen fight of the last forty five years, Roberto Duran, will be published uh, soon on the fightgamemedia.com dot com website. Uh, also, for those interested, we have a Patreon link in the description for five dollars a month. You guys could get the best coverage of any, any platform that covers professional wrestling, AEW, WWE, uh, Impact, the MLW, the NWA, the local mud show out in Mudlick, Kentucky, whatever. Our guys will cover it, and you've got great, great uh, Patreon shows on the website hosted by my buddy john larocca by uh my buddy by buddies the, the 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 two brains behind this platform behind the website behind the podcast network in um Gary gonzalez and justin nipper and you have a uh we, a monthly podcast i do on the greatest upsets in boxing history the latest one i did was on the july 1978 uh unbelievable upset held in that same arena the hulu theater that uh berlanga stunk the joy down last night when villamar fernandez defeated Alex Arguello and shortchanging what would have been the biggest fight among the two greatest Hispanic fighters, Latin fighters, however you want to say it, in my opinion, history of boxing, Roberto Duran versus Alexis Arguello. And um, in a few weeks, I will be uh, releasing a podcast on the next greatest upset of all time, and that is the June 6, 1988, just unbelievable uh, one-punch knockout in the third round, I ran Barkley over my all-time favorite fighter, Thomas Hearns. It's going to be a hard, hard podcast for me to do because I still can't believe Hearns lost that fucking fight. Anyway, on to my prediction for this Saturday night coming up again in in, in New York City, Hulu Theater, Madison Square Garden. We have a unification fight. Three of the four world titles will be at at stake. You have the IBF and uh, WBC champion, Artur Betabeev, going up against Long Island's own Joe Smith Jr., the WBO bogus world champion. Joe Smith's a solid fighter. Artur Betabeev is a great fighter. Joe Smith is a good puncher. Artur Betabeev is a destructive puncher. Arthur Better is going to knock Joe Smith the fuck out. It's window. When will he knock Joe Smith out? Because Joe Smith's not Joe Smith in order to beat Better Beef, you cannot slug with with a Better Beef. You got to move. You got to I mean the perfect guy to beat Better is Dimitri Baval because he's got that great left jab and and he's got great ring generalship. Joe Smith Jr. While he has a solid left jab, decent left jab, um, decent movement, he's better—he's—well, uh, he's a better version of Edgar Belanga, being that he's better as a seek-and-destroy fighter than a guy that's moving around and trying to outbox you. And he's not outboxing Better BF. His best bet is to catch Better BF. But Better is a fucking tank. And Better BF is going to blow Joe Smith the fuck out. Um... What round, ladies and gentlemen? All right, I'm just going to throw a shot in the air and say ninth round, but it could be any round. But I'm going to give Joe Smith the benefit of the doubt. He's been sturdy. Um, He's proven to have a very good chin throughout his entire career. Joe Smith gets knocked the fuck out in the ninth round, and better BF becomes a three- belt holder at 175 pounds and then hopefully him and dimitri Bavall can get together for another unification fight and the more unification title fights we have the better for boxing because i want to see eventually these fighters after they unify the titles take all four of those criminal cartel organization title belts and do a Riddick Bow and toss them in an incinerator or a garbage can and say, look, I'm the champion. I don't have to pay you sanctioning fees anymore. I'm going to dictate who the fuck I fight, when I fight, and for the most money, and y'all can go fuck yourselves off with your, with your, with your uh, mandatory uh, uh, challenges that are paid favors for promoters and managers. Get the hell out of here. All right. Now... On to The one and only Jolton Jeff Chandler Um, And I wrote When it comes to American cities And their rich boxing traditions You cannot have that conversation Without mentioning Philadelphia Legendary fighters Such as Joe Frazier, Bernard Hopkins Joey Giordello Matthew Saad Muhammad and Bob Montgomery Were just some of the great fighters Based in the city of brotherly love While I agree with the many who consider Hopkins to be the greatest fighter to ever come out of Philadelphia, he is not my favorite fighter ever to come out of Philly. That distinction would go to the 36th greatest fighter of the last 45 years, Jolton Jeff Chandler. Coming into 1977, Chandler had a pro record of five wins, no losses, and a draw, with all but one of his wins coming via decision. Standing at five foot seven, which is very tall for the hundred and eighteen pound division, Chandler had yet to learn how to put his shoulders into his punches. Because he had only started boxing two years earlier, he was basically an arm puncher the first two years of his pro career. Chandler was originally managed by Arnold Giovanetti, a reputed member of the mafia. early in nineteen seventy seven. Giovannetti mysteriously disappeared, and to this day, his whereabouts are still unknown. Chandler's career was then taken over by the husband and wife team of Willie and Becky O'Neill. Willie served as Jeff's trainer, while Becky assumed the managerial role. By By the beginning of 1979, Chandler, with the help of Willie, had finally perfected his powerful right cross and stiff left jab, which gave him a huge advantage over his much shorter opposition in the bantamweight division. Chandler's first major test occurred against a man my father knew back in his days as an amateur boxer, Davey Vasquez. Vasquez was a five foot two technician who was the perfect test to see if Chandler was a real contender. On April third, nineteen seventy nine, in front of his hometown fans at the famed Philadelphia Spectrum, Chandler dominated the at times. Dominated and at times frustrated Vasquez with his laser like left jab and occasional right cross to win an easy unanimous decision. That was the night my father was convinced that Chandler was destined for greatness. After winning his next seven fights, Chandler secured the WBA number one ranking and title shot versus their 118 pound champion, Julian Solis. The Puerto Rican champion was an aggressive fighter who threw punches and bunches and who my father felt was tailor-made for Chandler to shine against. On November 14, 1980, Chandler fought Solis for the latter's world title in Miami, Florida that was televised nationwide on the old Spanish international network. Uh, That network today is known as Univision. My father and I were highly impressed with the poise Chandler showed as Solis attempted to bully the teller Chandler in order to make it an ugly fight. Undeterred, Chandler dominated the champion with assortment of hooks and crosses off of his ramrod of a jab. Finally, in the 14th round, while Chandler was shellacking Solis up against the ropes, referee Carlos Bericala ordered a halt to the fight. The 24-year-old Chandler was now the first American-born boxer to win the world Bantamweight title in 30 years. After successfully defending his title against former champion Jorge Lujan, Chandler traveled to Japan to face the tough and highly skilled Japanese fighter Ishiro Murata on April 5, 1981. Murata had fought to a draw a year prior against the WBC champion Lupe Pintor, and was considered a live underdog against Chandler. Marada was indeed just that as he hurt Chandler badly early in the fight, but faded down the stretch, and for the first time in boxing history, a challenger fought to a draw against two world champions from the same weight division, Chandler and the O'Neils valiantly tried to get not only a 118-pound fight against Pintor, but they also tried in vain to secure a super fight with WBC 122-pound champion Wilfredo Gomez. It is criminal that neither fighter gave Chandler an opportunity to engage in what would have been the biggest fights of his career. Despite the inability to secure a high-profile fight with either future Hall of Famer, Chandler left no doubt amongst boxing writers and fans who the best band and in the world was in the early 1980s. Chandler stopped Murata twice in rematch, rematches, as well as Solis in their rematch. The only hiccup he suffered before his reign ended was when he lost a non-title fight via decision to Oscar Muniz on July 23rd, 1983. Five months later, Chandler avenged that defeat by stopping Muniz in the seventh round. It was the ninth and final successful defense of his WBA title. Then, the unthinkable occurred. On the afternoon of April 7th, 1984, my father and I sat in our living room anticipating another great performance by Chandler as he was defending his title against the undefeated Richie Sandoval. We had seen Sandoval show great potential as an amateur and possible future world champion, but we didn't think the 23-year-old Mexican-American boxer puncher would pose a serious threat to the then 27-year-old in his prime, Chandler. Shockingly, we were wrong. Chandler completely dominated the first round before all of a sudden becoming completely lethargic. Sandoval totally bullied and battered Chandler at will before referee Frank Cappuccino stopped the fight midway through the 15th and final round. My father felt that Chandler looked more like 37 and not 27 and should retire immediately. A few months later, Chandler did retire as he had severe cataract issues that he had kept secret. After a successful surgery, Chandler Chandler never went back he never went back to the sport he dominated for four years jeff chandler went from a 19 year old novice boxing for the first time to becoming wba 118 pound champion in less than five years in his three and a half years as champion he was not only the best 118 pound champion but one of the 10 best fighters in the world during the single greatest talent-laden era boxing has ever witnessed despite being despite being forced to retire at the age of 27 Chandler was easy as the greatest bantamweight I've ever seen in my now 46 years of watching boxing his ranking as the 36th greatest fighter of the last 45 years is more than deserving ladies and gentlemen thanks again for listening Uh, thanks for all the great listeners out there I want to shout out since I just did this profile of one of the greatest Philadelphia fighters of all time um, I want to shout out Three loyal listeners who are from Philly, and who really loved and critiqued with great with, with 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 great constrictive criticism, constructive criticism, not constricted, constructive criticism, my five greatest Philly fighters of 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 all time, and that's my brother from Philly, the number one barber in Philadelphia. If you don't know about him, check him out on Twitter, Toot the Barber, and it's spelled just like that, to T O O Two T Oot the barber, toot the barber, the Brutus the barber, beefcake cake of the uh, the Philly barber game, uh, Edward Nigma and Sugar Hill Rob, all, all three Philly residents, all three proud of Philadelphia, and all three gave me great uh, feedback on my five greatest Philadelphia fighters of all time. So shout out to those great Philly brothers. Shout out to all the listeners out there. I love the feedback. Um, you can reach me at Twitter, RobertSilva5768. If you want to email me, ask me any questions pertaining to the program. Not only can you ask me questions via Twitter, but you can email me email me at RobertSilva57 at Hotmail.com. Ladies and gentlemen, until next week, be blessed and be a blessing.